Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Obviously began last week as we transition out of the Gospel of John. Uh, we're calling it, He Has Risen, Now What? So if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that or watch that on Facebook because that is, uh, or today is going to build off of that foundation. And we're not going to go into every detail, but I do want to highlight a few things that we talked about uh, last week. The first uh, as we mentioned last week, the reason really behind this entire message uh, is something that Peter wrote about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, it was a letter addressed to believers, and in it, uh, you'll find this in 2 Peter 1.8, uh, Peter warns believers against a very real and present danger, uh, something that is a, a, a prevalent uh, thing that's taking place in the church today, in my opinion, and that is a knowledge of Jesus Christ that is both unproductive and ineffective for the kingdom of God. So uh, what we are doing here is we're, we're taking what we know to be true of Jesus Christ and we're asking the question, how do we make sure that we are effective with this and productive for the kingdom of God? So uh, last week, uh, we said that we are fortunate because we have the remainder of the New Testament after the Gospels. Uh, and what this does, what Scripture tells us, uh, is what the lives of those look like who were affected or who witnessed the resurrection of Christ. Um, so we see how the mindsets of those who lived in that time changed after the resurrection we talked about this last week uh, as we studied uh, what Paul calls the gospel of grace. So we have this new life taking place following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we saw that in mindset last week. Today, we're going to look at the actions of his followers. How did their actions change before the resurrection and after the resurrection? So uh, in this series, we intentionally tackled grace first, and that's because as we look at the early believers uh, and the leaders of the early church, their understanding of God's grace for them uh, is really a part of what propelled them in ministry. Uh, understanding God's grace towards them preceded and partly propelled them to walk in the fullness of their calling. So uh, in the same way, uh, understanding God's grace towards us precedes us walking in the fullness of our calling in Jesus Christ. So uh, there's a passage we looked at last week in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, Paul talks about it being the gospel of grace here, but what I want to do today is move just a few verses later where Paul briefly talks about his past, and then he talks about his present calling. So in Galatians chapter 1, we find this beginning in verse 13. It says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Now, this is putting it mildly for Paul. Uh, Paul sought to destroy the church. He says it here. He says, I persecuted Christians. Uh, he even got a letter uh, from the government basically saying that he was allowed to go drag Christians out of their homes. This was his life. Now, I want you to see what he says next in verse 14. He says, I persecuted Christians. I tried to destroy the church. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, 
The word that he uses here for zealous, I have it on the screen for you. Uh, what it means uh, in the original language is it means to defend, uphold, and vehemently contend for something. And I want to stop right here for just a minute because I want you to see what Paul is saying. Paul says, in my former life, he admits I persecuted the church, but it was not persecution for the sake of persecution. What he says is, I persecuted the church because I was passionate about something else and the church got in the way. I was passionate about defending and upholding and contending for something else. So Paul says, I did not view it as an unjust persecution. It was a justified persecution because the church was in the way of what I wanted to defend or what I wanted to uphold, what I wanted to contend for. And I want us to see that because uh, worldwide, uh, Christians are the most persecuted people group on the earth. And that's not a guess. That's a documented fact. There are thousands of martyrs uh, that, that take place every year against Christians. But in the U.S., uh, persecution against the Christian church is really just at its conception. Uh, we, we see it in spurts. Uh, we see it here and there. But the writing is on the wall. Uh, if you turn on the news, the writing is on the wall. And, and um, as persecution grows... Those who are persecuting the church won't view it as an unjust persecution. What they're going to look at it is the same way we see it in Scripture. They're going to say, well, I am zealous in this area. They're going to say, I, I am zealous and passionate about defending what I call equality or, or tolerance or social justice or political correctness. And the church is in the way of that. So what's going to happen is either the church is going to fold and conform, which many churches are doing today, or they'll hold true to the word of God and they will face persecution, which, by the way, is what Jesus promised would happen. If you stand for the word of God and you continually stand for the truths of the word of God, you will face persecution and it will be the same kind of persecution we saw 2,000 years ago where those who are persecuting the church don't even see it as persecution. They just say, I'm zealous for a good thing like equality and tolerance, and the church is in the way of that. And we see the writing on the wall that that is the direction the church is headed. So back to the message. That's just a side note. Paul says, in my past, I persecuted the church because I was so zealous for Judaism. But in verse 15, he says this, he says, but God who set me apart from my mother's womb has called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, uh, I'm not a big fan of, of the NFL uh, itself, but this week an event took place that uh, I do find interesting. Uh, most of you are probably aware the NFL draft took place this week. Uh, and I, I find it fascinating just the concept uh, of all of the, these young people, uh, 20 years old or so, who in a moment, if they hear their name called, just like that, are millionaires. Um, they might go from having nothing to being millionaires in a moment. And I mostly just watched to see if my name is called, and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but I'm going to keep watching for that reason. But uh, the think tanks of the NFL, they gather and they spend hundreds of hours 
breaking down film and potential draft picks who are coming out of college. They, they want to know their height, their weight. They want to know how far can you jump and how high can you jump, how, how, how hard can you throw. And that, now the big thing is they measure your hand size from your thumb to your pinky. And if it's too small, they won't draft you. And they'll spend hours watching game film and, and conducting interviews, talking to coaches and friends and family, because if they are selecting someone for their team, they only want the best of the best. Now, if we go back to the first century and we draft Team Jesus for launching the early church, he chose two men right from the start that probably no one in this place would have ever drafted. We would not have ever drafted Paul to be a leader in the early church. That would be like the Steelers drafting someone who hates the Steelers and wants everyone on the Steelers to be killed or arrested and killed. And we say, I won't, I'll take him first. It would make no sense to us. And Paul recognized that he did not deserve this calling. That, that, that Paul said, I have been called by grace. This was not an irrelevant side note to all of this. Understanding that he was called solely by the grace of God was at the core of his ministry. You could not possibly look at the life of Paul leading up to his ministry and say, well, he earned that calling or he deserved that ministry that he had. He was a good man, well qualified to be an evangelist, and therefore God called him because in truth, nothing about the past of Paul qualified him for ministry. And most of us would have said because of his past, he is disqualified from any future ministry. And I think that is partly why God called him for everyone, including you and including me, to see that callings are not based on qualifications. Callings are based upon grace. When Paul said, I have been called by the grace of God, he meant I have been called solely by the grace of God. Church, you have a calling. It is not based upon your qualifications or what you've done in your past. And it may not look like mine, or maybe it does. But you have a calling based upon the grace of God. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's based on the grace of God. But nevertheless, there is a calling on your life. Now, uh, where I'd like to turn from here is the other man who we wouldn't have drafted onto Team Jesus but Jesus selected him first. Uh, if we were doing the draft, we would have said he's kind of flighty. He's not dependable. Uh, and judging by his past, when things get tough, he just denies Jesus altogether. Yet Jesus chose him to be the leader of the early church, and that's Peter. Uh, now, I want us to begin in the Gospel of Luke. On the evening of Jesus' arrest, uh, and we're talking about just before he is crucified, and all of Jesus' disciples are gathered with him at the Last Supper. And I want you to read the conversation with me that Jesus, that's taking place. It's, it's in Luke 22, beginning in verse 25. It says, Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are 
those who have stood by me in trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table, my kingdom, and sit on, a throne, on thrones, judging the twelve tri tribes of Israel. Now, uh, I actually just read all of that because I want you to see how out of left field what he says next seems. So he says all of this about serving and, and the greatest among you and all this. And then verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. So he's talking to Simon Peter here. And what, what happens, if you can see just kind of how random this is, Jesus is talking to all the disciples and he's talking about serving and greatness in the kingdom of God. And then it's almost like he remembered he was supposed to talk to Simon because he just shifts his focus and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. In verse 32, he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. If you're taking notes, I want you to actually write down that last verse. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Verse 34, Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me, deny three times that you know me. Now, this evening would probably go down as the worst evening in Peter's life. This was the evening he would do just as Jesus said, and he would deny him three times. Uh, he, Peter had said, we just wrote it down, he said, I'll go to prison for you, I'll die for you, and then he is confronted with the opportunity to put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. And he says, actually, I don't know him. Uh, actually, uh, I'm not going to follow through with what I said. Actually, I don't know him. And it's easy to read this passage and focus on that aspect because as unfair as it is, that's one of the things that Peter is remembered for. And that's kind of sad because I would hate to be remembered for my greatest mistakes. But that's often how we remember him. But it's something else Jesus said in the, this, this conversation that I want to highlight. So if we go back to verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And I want you to just notice here, he, he says this in the plural sense. He's talking to Simon, but he says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you disciples, all of you here as wheat. And then in the next verse, he says, but I, I have prayed for you, Simon. And that's in the singular. He says, Simon, I have specifically prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And then I want you to see this. He says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I, I, I love that phrase. He says, when you have turned back. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I know that you're going to struggle I know that you're actually going to fail. I know that you're actually going to deny me. And I'm already making plans for when you turn back. Now, I don't want to miss anyone this morning. If you are ever in that season where Peter uh, found himself that night, that season where you're saying, I cannot believe what I've just done, and, and you might be in there today, I want you to see that God's plans don't go on hold for you in that season. His calling on your life doesn't go away. God didn't say, Peter, if you deny me tonight, it's over. 
I can't use you anymore. You can come back into the fold, but that's pretty much the best I can do for you. No, Jesus actually said, you're going to deny me. You're going to fail. And what I am telling you is I have plans for the other side of that already. I have plans for the when you turn back. Our God is such a big God and a good God that he has plans for the when you have turned back. Now, all of this is it's pre-crucifixion. It's pre-resurrection. Uh, I would call it pre-restoration. So the, when Jesus restores him around the fire. Uh, and what that means is this is a pre-understanding of the grace of God. Peter does not yet recognize or understand the fullness of God's grace. And we looked uh, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago at John 21, where just the depth that Jesus went through to restore Peter in that grace. But uh, by grace, Jesus still has a calling and a purpose for Peter's life. Uh, and what we'll find is Peter would soon face uh, potential persecution again. He would face prison for his faith, and, and this question would arise once again, will I deny him again when I'm facing prison? And I, I want to look at that similar circumstance in, in Peter's life. Uh, if we were to look at Acts 1, uh, this is where Jesus gives a, a great commission of sorts, and then he ascends into heaven. In Acts 2, we have the falling of the Holy Spirit on the believers, and this commotion draws a crowd. And Peter sees the opportunity when he sees the crowd, uh, and he begins to boldly preach the gospel message. In Acts 3, Peter encounters the lame beggar, and he says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this miracle takes place, and because of the miracle, a huge crowd forms again, and Peter sees the opportunity, uh, and he preaches the gospel again. Only this time, Peter is arrested. Peter is arrested with John for preaching the gospel. And in Acts chapter 4, it says they, they called them in before they released them. And they commanded them, you are not to speak or to teach the name of Jesus anymore. And in verse 21 of Acts 4, it says that before they let them go, they threatened them all the more. So you have Peter again in this scenario where he is being threatened if he continues to operate in the calling in the name of Jesus Christ. And if we consider Peter's past, what happened the last time there was this threat of imprisonment or worse? The last time this took place, he denied knowing Jesus three times. How does he respond this time uh, in Acts chapter 4 in verse 29? He says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. To stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So back to uh, verse 29 there, Greg, if you would. So Peter is facing further imprisonment, further punishment, and instead what he says is, Lord, you look on their threats and just grant me more boldness to continue to preach your word, to continue to, to share the gospel. Uh, as we, we close today, Renee, you can go ahead and come. Um, I want to go back to John 21 because there, there's this restoration moment with Peter, and I want to look at something that Jesus says to him that seems almost out of place. 
in John 21, beginning in verse 17, it says, The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter said to him, follow me. So we have this beautiful restoration moment. It's almost like a Hallmark movie at the end of the Gospel of John. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes. And it seems like that's where the closing credits would be. But instead, Jesus says, wonderful. Now let me tell you how you're going to die. And it's like, Jesus, you ruined the moment. You had him like on the mountaintop, and then Jesus says, that's great. Now this is how you're going to die. But if we go back to Peter's words in Luke 22, remember Peter had said, Jesus, I will go to prison for you, and I will die for you. And the moment he faces the opportunity to follow through, restores him, Jesus says, that promise you made, that you didn't have the faith and you didn't have the, the, pow the power and the boldness to actually walk through and follow through, you're going to follow through with it. Because I have to think in, in my spirit that, that Peter probably had this fear of, will I be able to, to fulfill that promise? Will I have the faith that I didn't have? a point in our 
the gospel irrelevant of man's response. And I think that's another reason that we often don't share the gospel because we anticipate it being rejected. So we say, we kind of just fill in the answer on our own. Peter would share the gospel to thousands upon thousands and thousands of people. And thousands and thousands and thousands would reject him, ultimately leading to, ultimately leading to his arrest and to his death. listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.